we're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, whether you're with us on campus or online, this is the second in our series called Legacy Makers. And last week, we kind of opened up the series by talking about uh, a statement in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter that talks about faith being the, the assurance of things promised and the, the conviction that things unseen are really going to happen. And, and that statement comes out of an argument that the, that the writer of the Hebrews is making to a group of people in a place called the Lycus Valley in the first century. And he's writing it to, to people who are, who are of Hebrew heritage who've been tempted because of the persecution they've faced for leaving their Jewish background and following Jesus. He's been writing to say to them, no, you can't do that. You've been spoiled by Jesus. And Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is the great sacrificial lamb. The whole entire book is centered on who Jesus is. And when he gets to this 11th chapter, he wants them to understand where faith and where life in Jesus really connects. And so he makes that statement that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the promise, the conviction of things unseen, and it's by those things that the world literally was made, and that the visible was made out of the invisible. And then he does an interesting thing. He, he starts letting us know where the, where the legacy started. You see, if you're going to start a legacy, there has to be a beginning. And so the writer starts at the beginning. Because you see, the very first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And Genesis means beginning. In fact, Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to describe how that process happened. And then, and then in the book of Genesis, after the story of the creation, after God makes Adam the first man and Eve the first woman, after the two of them rebel against God, disobey his commandments, and decide to follow their own inclinations rather than following what God had designed them to do and, and chose to be who they wanted to be instead of who God had made them to be, then after they've left the Garden of Eden and they've started their life, there's an interesting thing that happens in Genesis chapter 4. Eve gives birth to a son. The first person born on the planet. Because you see, Adam and Eve weren't born, they were created. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, you know what, if I'm going to make a case for Hebrew people, for Jewish people about who Jesus really is, I need to go back and I need to start at the very beginning of the beginning. Let me start with the first guy who was born and his brother. Because in Genesis 4, what, what we're told is that, is that Eve gives birth to a son and names him Cain. And her statement is that, that I, I've given birth to a child through the help of God. And Cain is born. And then it says that later Abel was born, his brother. And Cain was a man who, who worked the ground. He was a farmer. He was a gardener. He, he grew the plants and, and, and provided food out of, out of that. But his little brother Abel, Abel was a shepherd. Abel, Abel watched the, the sheep and the lambs. And so you have one brother who's, who's a farmer and, 
and taking care of the land. And you have another brother who's, who's a shepherd and taking care of the animals and the sheep. And God is looking at this creation, and, and although there's been sin because of the fall of Adam and Eve, now even in the midst of that pain, even in the midst of that rejection, there's new life. And in that new life are these two brothers, the first two people born on this planet. My younger brother, Kevin, uh, was the first baby born in McMinnville, Tennessee in 19, I won't tell you the new year, but he was the first baby born on January 1 of that year. I'm the oldest child. I mean, I am the favorite. But he was born on January 1. And the first one, and which meant in that little town in Middle Tennessee, he got a newspaper write-up. He got diapers for a year. I mean, he, he got formula. He, he got all of this stuff. I didn't get any of that. Of course, I was only two. I didn't really care, you know. But all my life, I've had to hear about how my brother got all this stuff and my mom and dad didn't, you know, all, of, all of that I've had to listen to all these years. But for Cain and Abel, it was a little, little more difficult than that. Because you see, after they had grown to be men and God's looking at this new life being redeemed out of the failure of their parents, he reaches out to Cain and Abel and he says something interesting. He basically says to them, listen, I want you to know, I don't ever want you to forget that I created everything you have, and I created you, and because I love you, and because I created you, I want to keep a relationship with you, and so one of the things I want you to do is I want you to take the things I've given you, and I want you to offer them back to me. I want you to bring me an offering. So Cain and Abel hear this. And they decide, okay, let's, we'll do that. I mean, after all, our parents have told us the story of how they used to walk with God in the evenings, how, how God held them accountable for their the sin in their life. And so we, we want to follow God. And so they bring their offerings. Now, again, one's a shepherd, one's a farmer. And so they each bring out of what they have. They bring out of what resources God has given them. And for years, there are some people who say, well, you know, the reason God accepted Abel's gift, because when God looks at their two gifts, he, he looks down and goes, well, you know what? I, I, it's okay, Cain, but I really like Abel's. And a lot of people say, well, that's because, that's because Abel's was from, a, from a, a living animal. It was a blood sacrifice. It's a, it's a, it's a forbearing of of the fact that God was gonna redeem our sin through, through the blood of Jesus Christ and all that. And, and I just need you to know, that's not what the writer of the Hebrews says. No, no what, 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 what the book of Genesis doesn't say it either. In fact, what, what the book of Genesis says is that God looked at their two offerings and he found Abel's acceptable. And when he did that, Cain, Cain became upset. It, what, what, the, what the Hebrew actually says is his countenance fell. His face fell. The, the, the 21st century version of that is he began to pout. I have a granddaughter. When she's two, she'll be three in August. When she doesn't get exactly what she wants, guess what she can do? She can pout. 
you've got kids, you've had kids, you've seen the same thing. In fact, when, when my boys were little and we lived in Tennessee, our next door neighbor was full of all of these Tennessee colloquialisms. And one day, one of my boys was upset and his bottom lip is all puffed out and he's upset and pouting about everything. And my neighbor looked at and said, boy, you could walk to town on that lip. <laughs> I'm like, where'd that come from, man? You know? That's what's going on with, that's what's going on with Cain. His brother's sacrifice is deemed acceptable. His is like, okay. And so God speaks to Cain. Go back and read it this week in your devotions in, in Genesis chapter four. If you don't do devotions, start this week. Or better yet, sign up on our connect card today and Pastor Kayla has written uh, uh, some next steps that will help you with this. But, but go back and read Genesis four. And, 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 and when you read Genesis four, you're gonna find that in this dialogue between God and Cain, we actually find out why Abel's sacrifice was one of faith. Because God looks at Cain and says, Cain, Cain listen, your brother's was, was a better sacrifice because it came out of the very finest of what he had. He, he looked at it and said, you know what, I, I'm gonna give God the very best that I've got. I'm gonna give him the firstborn lamb. I'm, I'm gonna give him the one that's pure and spotless. And, and Cain, you, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you're a good farmer. I mean, and you had a good harvest, but, but you didn't bring me the best that you've got. And, and I'm, I'm the one who gets you up in the morning. I'm the one who, who gives you life. I'm the one who taught you how to farm. I'm the one who gave you the skills that you have. So what I need you to do is, is I need you to understand, don't sit here and pout. What I need you to do is, and, I, and don't be jealous of your brother. Don't you know that, that if you would just simply give me everything, that's gonna be fine. If you would just say to me, God, I understand. I don't even live without you. I owe you my breath. I owe you all my talents. I owe you my intellect. I owe you my resources. I owe, I owe you everything. It's all from you. I have to live in this, because that's what God really wanted from Cain and Abel. It's what God really wants from you and me. He wants us to live in connection with him. That's why Hannah could stand and say to you, well, she could record the video because she was way too nervous to talk out loud to all of you today, all right? And say, my life is different because I've given it to Jesus and following Jesus has changed everything. See, that's the relationship. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. And in the beginning, you've got one brother who's understood it. By faith, he's brought, he's brought this gift, the very best he's got. You've got another brother who's kind of like, okay, I need to give something. I'll just take this and give something to God. And God says, look, Cain, don't sit there and pout about it. Don't let your face fall. Don't, don't sulk about it. Because here's the deal. If you will do right, you will be fine. But Cain, you need to know, and this is a really interesting Hebrew phrase in Genesis chapter four. He says, sin is crouching outside the door. See, it wasn't a sin that Cain didn't bring as good an offering as Abel. God, God looked and said, okay, Cain, you, you can make that better. That can be fixed. But, but listen, this 
this sulking you're doing, this pouting you're doing, this, this, this sense of, of being angry and jealous of your brother because I liked his sacrifice and I didn't like yours, this enmity between you and your brother, that's an opportunity for sin. So Cain, listen, I want you to not do that. You can conquer this. See, friend, I don't know what it is that keeps making you fall. I don't know if it's an addiction. I don't know if it's a failure. I don't know if it's some, some kind of greed or something. I don't know what it is in your life. But here's what I know. Sin does not have to rule over you. Your failure doesn't have to define you. Your past doesn't have to define you. Oh, it will affect you, but it doesn't have to define you. You're defined by your relationship with God. Jesus came to offer you that relationship. And so even in the beginning of the beginning, God is saying to someone who, who has failed, listen, there's a way out of this. But unfortunately, Cain didn't listen to God. In fact, he did just the opposite of what God had told him. God said, look, you, you could make this better. Just don't give in to this, this evil that's sitting outside your door, kind of crouching, waiting for you. But as the author in Genesis 4 tells us, Cain called to his brother. And he says, hey, can we step outside and talk? Now, for those of you who think that's from a country music song and that guys go outside of bars to fight because that, it's actually biblical, all right? Genesis chapter 4, Cain says, uh, hey, Abel, can we go outside and talk? Which really meant, can we go outside and fight? Which actually meant, can we go outside so I can kill you? And that's what they did. Abel didn't know what Cain was plotting. Cain did. Cain did what he did because he didn't master, he didn't allow God to control what was going on in his life. Instead, he gave in to the sin that was crouching outside his door. And so he went outside and he killed Abel. And I love the fact that, that in this story, God shows up after, after the murder, God knew what had happened, but God is such a loving, gracious God. He, walk, he comes into the world and he says to Cain, hey, Cain, where's your brother? God knew, but he wanted Cain to own what he had done. See, God knows where you failed. He knows what's broken in your life. He knows the pain. He knows the heartache. He knows who's hurt you. He knows who you're bitter against. He knows all of that stuff. But he's going to walk into your life, and he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, hey, do you not know that I love you? Where, where is this person? Where is this situation? And that's where... Cain makes that very, very famous statement that you've heard people say all over these, all, all your life, most of you. And that's when God says to Cain, hey, where's your brother Abel? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Cain smarted off to God. That's not a very good option. Smarting off to God, I mean, he can handle it, but it usually doesn't end well. And so God then immediately says to Cain, hey, Cain, I just want you to know the very blood of your brother that you spilled, I saw it. I know what's going on. You killed your brother. His blood's in the ground, and I just want you to know it's crying out to me. So here's what's going to happen. From now on, because of what you've done, this, this, 
ground that you used to be able to plant and, and toil and, and harvest and no longer. Not gonna happen, Cain. And Cain, I, I just want you to know, you have defied and deterred from my presence. I still love you. I still care about you. Cain goes nuts. Cain says, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Man, if, if you're casting me out of your presence, and if I can no longer work the ground, those are my skill sets, I'm gonna wander around in this world and people are gonna, people are gonna kill me when they see me. They're gonna say, hey, that's the, guy that, that's the guy that killed his brother. You remember the first two guys that were born on the planet and he, he's the oldest and he killed the younger? And, and God, God does this amazing thing. It's really an act of mercy. In our culture, somehow we've made it an act of Satan, but it's not an act of Satan. It's an act of God and his mercy. Because what, what he does is, God says, look, Cain, I'm not gonna let that happen to you. I, I know you sinned. I know you killed your brother. I know you violated trust. I know you've separated from me. But I'm not gonna let people just kill you. In fact, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a mark on you. It's called the mark of Cain. I'm gonna put that mark on you to protect you, to protect you. So in light of that story, that story of grace, that story of God's love, of God's goodness, in the middle of the pain of anger and envy and murder, the goodness and grace of God were still extended. So come forward thousands of years to the first century. The Hebrew writer is writing to these people, telling them who Jesus is, and that Jesus is offering goodness and grace and forgiveness and a new life to anyone, everyone, who will accept him. And he makes this statement that we talked about earlier. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things unseen, that everything that was created was created from the invisible to the visible. And that what is commended by God is faith. And then he launches in and he says these words. Listen as I read them for you from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What the writer is trying to tell us is that legacies of faith that begin at the beginning of your life, that begin at the place where you say to God, God, I'm going to let you be in charge of everything, that people who make legacies that impact and change the world, that legacy makers live and give out of gratitude, not, not out of obligation. They, they live and give out of gratitude because they understand what Cain missed. They understand what Abel understood, that God gives us life. God gives us our whole being. God gives us our abilities. God gives us our resources. See, every once in a while, I, I like to fool people and say, you know, if you, if you have $1,000, how much of that belongs to God? And those of you that have been raised in church, I'll always have somebody who'll say, well, $100, because that's 10% of the $1,000. And God wants 10% of what I've got. And my answer is wrong. 
wrong? If you got $1,000, God owns all thousands. He's given it to you to use. Everything, if you've got a talent. See, when I was young, I thought I could learn how to sing. I was in the choir at school. They even made room for me in a quartet. Of course, they had to put five or six guys in the quartet. It wasn't really a quartet. They had to have like six of us, right? And I'd, I'd kind of try to sing and learn how to, and I thought I could sing pretty well until I met my wife. She can sing. I just thought I could sing. I mean, I, I, I walked through the house. I mean, I, I start, we first married, I, I'd walk through, I'd sing a song. She'd look at me and go, you just sang in three keys in one song. I'm like, I don't have any keys. I mean, I didn't open any doors. What are you talking about keys? I don't, I don't understand this. What are you talking about? I realized I thought I had a gift. She had a gift. But then again, there's some things I'm gifted at. She's not gifted at. She cannot preach. Some days I can, some days I can't. But my point to you is, everything you've got belongs to God. And Abel understood that. Which is why, I mean, look at this scripture again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. It wasn't more acceptable because it was blood and the other one was plants. It was more acceptable because he understood to give God the best of what he had. His time, his talent, his effort, all his resources. Listen, do you know that Jewish men, that Jewish men open every morning with the same prayer? And the prayer says this, God, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for giving me life. See, I, I, I really think that would make a major difference for most of us. If we began to understand that we don't even wake up in the morning unless we understand that God is the one who allowed us to wake up because some folks didn't wake up this morning. And so legacy makers, people who understand faith the way that Abel understood it, are, are people who are commended as righteous, not because it's the style of sacrifice, not because one gave more than the other. No, no, it, it's because they give out of a heart of gratitude. And legacy makers live and give with a heart of gratitude. And it doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of money or a little bit of money. I've, I've, I've been with people. I've sat at tables with people. I've shared life with people who have millions of dollars. I've also sat at table with people. I've shared life with people who don't have any money at all. And what I know is this. Jesus can give both of them the same kind of joy. Sometimes I'm asked by people, why, why do you encourage people to, to be a part of, of intercultural connections through missions trips or, or through giving or, uh, or through being a part of, of a missions emphasis in a, in a church? Why would you do that as a pastor? I'm like, for lots of reasons, not the least of which is, when I was a 21-year-old college kid, I went on a trip in the San Blas Islands off the coast of Panama. I went because my friends were going. I went because it sounded like fun. It went because they promised us we could snorkel when we got through building the church and there's some really cool reefs off the San Blas Islands. But while I was there, one day when we were taking a break from working on the church, I, I slipped away from the 
church work site down to a little store that, that had ice cold Coca-Cola. Now, you got to understand, where I'm from, everything's a Coke, okay? Dr. Pepper's a Coke. Orange Pop's a Coke. Pepsi's a Coke. They don't like that with the trademark, but they are, right? And so I went to go get a Coke, and I'm coming back. And as I'm coming back, there's a little guy, maybe five, six years old, slips out from between two little grass huts, and, he, and, and he's got something behind his back, and he looks at me, and he goes, ¿Eres tu amigo? I'm like, see? And he comes out from behind his hand, his hands from behind his back, and he's holding the most beautiful conch shell. I still have it in my office. I keep it to remind me of this, that one of the most poverty-stricken people I've ever met in my life who had... I, most of you spend more money at Starbucks than this child would have for a year. And, 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 and he's giving me a gift. He's giving me this beautiful shell. I'm like, yeah, I'm your friend. <laughs> and I went back. The guys I was with who were getting ready to go snorkeling when we finished building the church so that they could find shells like that. What'd you do, Robinson? Did you go out and start snorkeling? No, no, I didn't find this. This is a gift from a friend. A gift from a friend? Yeah. Wow. Can I tell you? To this day, it holds deep value to me. Why? Because it was a gift of gratitude, not obligation. What God looked down at Cain and Abel's sacrifices and looked at Abel's and looked at Cain's, and the reason he said, hey, this one is acceptable, this pleases me, is because it came out of the gratitude that Abel had. By faith, Abel made a more acceptable sacrifice. My friend, how much gratitude do you have to God for what you have in your world, in your life? But it's not just gratitude. No, no, see, legacy makers who live and give out of gratitude are people who also live and give out of, out of their integrity, not out of manipulation. They live and give out of a heart of integrity, not, not, not obligation. Years ago when I was a, a young, much younger pastor, I had a gentleman come into my office one day. He was quite upset. Uh, the church that I was serving at that time had made some decisions to, to, to move forward and on, a, on a project that we were doing. And, and the, church, the church had overwhelmingly voted to do it. But he didn't approve of it. He didn't approve of that project. And so, so he and some of his friends, he, he was there on behalf of a delegation of about 25 people. Church was much larger than that. And, and, and that had a 90-plus percent vote on what to do. This guy came in my office. He's very upset. He sits down across the table, and he says, I'm here to tell you we don't need to do that project. I said, well, the, the board wants to do it. The church wants to do it. This is something we need to do. He goes, no, and we talk. And finally, he, he kind of leans forward, and he goes, I just want to let you know there's a group of us who have decided that we will withhold our tithe until the, you and the board do what we want to do. I remember I told you I was very young, okay? I, I'm not sure I'd recommend this now, but I'm confessing I did it. I, I, I did it. Because I looked at him very, I just it shocked me that he would say that. It was manipulation. It was power. And I looked at him and I said, well, man, you don't want to do that. He said, 
why not? I said, you're old. You're really close to meeting Jesus. You don't want to do that. You're going to meet him sooner than I will. I was a little brazen, I'm telling you. And he kind of looked shocked. And I said, no, listen to me. When you give your money to the church, you don't give it to me or the board or even the rest of the congregation. That money is you giving to God what God has given to you. And you, and you just, you need to know that God has given you everything you've got, even the talents you have to make it, even the way you've invested. Your investments have gone well. That's wonderful. But I'm just telling you, you don't want to threaten God. You're too close to meeting him. And he kind of, I said, in fact, let me pray for you. So I got up from my chair and I walked around the desk and I put my hands on him and I prayed for him. And he kind of mumbled his way out of my office. And about three or four weeks later, I looked down at my calendars, back when we used to have paper calendars, and uh, I saw his name coming in for an appointment. I thought, okay, this is not going to be good. But he walked in my office, and he sat down, and he said, I'm here to ask your forgiveness. I thought about what you said, and you're right. Would you forgive me? I'm like, yes, sir, I'd forgive you. He goes, would you pray for me? I said, yes, I'll pray for you. And can I tell you that from that day until the day he died, until the day I preached his funeral, until the day I put his casket in the ground with his family, which wasn't very long, because <laughs> he really was close to meeting Jesus when he talked to me, he would come by my office regularly, at least once a month, and just say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? And we would pray together for each other. Because God taught him a lesson, not because of me, but because he had come in thinking that, that giving and, and resources were used to manipulate and get power and do what you want to do. And, and the fact of the matter is, you have resources. You have resources because God has given them to you. And, and, and it's not that you use them. There's, a, there's this crazy teaching going on. It's been going on for 20 or 30 years now that simply says that if you give God this much, God's going to like double it or triple it. or whatever. No, no, listen. God owns it all anyway. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every time I say that, some guy's like, well, then I'll keep my money. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that he owns you, your abilities, your heart, everything you've got. And so what he's asking you is, are you going to be Cain? And pout? Or are you going to be able? And by faith. The sin is crouching at the door if you choose to be Cain. But if you choose by faith to be a person of gratitude and a person of integrity, to give as you have been given to, to be happy regardless of the level of where you live. Whether you're a child in the Sambas Islands, a multimillionaire, in a beachfront condo. God loves you and he is providing for you. There's one more thing about this, that people who live and give by gratitude and integrity also figure out. The same thing that Abel already knew. And that is that people who live and give who make legacies where they live and give out of integrity and gratitude are people who also 
understand the difference in commendation and control. They, they, they give them a heart of commendation. Com- commendation is, is, is this sense of honoring. It's this sense of recognizing. It's this sense of saying, hey, God, here I am. Here's my, here, here's my life. It's not just my emotions. It's not just my intellect. It's not just my resources. It's all of me. And I'm giving it to you. And I'm giving it to you because I want to be a part of the beginning at the beginning. I, I want to be a part of, of what it means to really see what God wants to do in my life. I, I want to I understand that from the cradle to the grave, God is with me. And he is for me. And he loves me with all of his heart. And yes, there is an enemy of my soul. Yes, there is someone who wants to take me away. And he crouches at the door. And if I, if I give in to him, yeah, I can separate from God. But the fact of the matter is, God is telling us, just like he told Cain, in my grace, in my strength, in my mercy, you don't have to give in to that. Because I love you. On the night before he died, Jesus gave the disciples a tangible reminder of just how powerful his love and grace are. He he gave them a tangible way of remembering. He, He said, you know, this bread that you've been, this unleavened bread that you've been eating to remember the escape from Egypt by your ancestors. From now on, I want you to know that that bread is a symbol of the fact that that I am God. I am the Son of God. I was invisible, but now I'm visible. That I became flesh and dwelt among you. Every time you break bread, I want you to remember that. And, And then he took the cup, a cup that they had always looked at as the cup of salvation, the cup of anticipation that God was going to deliver them from their oppressors. And and he said, listen, every time you take this cup, I want you you to know that it's a symbol of my blood shed for you to forgive you of your sins. You see, I'm gonna give you this bread, I'm gonna give you this cup, and every time you take it, I want you to remember me. Don't remember yourself. Don't remember your failure. Don't remember your brokenness. Remember me. Remember that I love you. Remember that I'm here for you. That I left a legacy for you. A legacy of sacrifice and faith. See, when the writer of the Hebrews talks about the fact that in this passage that, that through his faith, Abel still, even though he died, He still speaks. It's the same thing Jesus is saying when he says, listen, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. In fact, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's talking about what it means to come to the table of God, the table of Jesus, he says this. Every time you take this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord until he comes again. This morning... I want to invite you to be people of faith, people of sacrifice, people of gratitude and integrity and and commendation. I want to be a person like that. And I want to invite you to be a person like that. If you're here today and you're not a member of Eastside Church, 
you need to know we're going to, we're going to have a table of bread and cup. We're going to serve communion, the Lord's Supper. And what you need to know is, even if you're not a member of our church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome at this table. You can take bread and cup. In this place, it's an open table. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to say this to you. You can become one right now simply by asking Jesus to come into your heart, to forgive you of your rebellion, to forgive you of your sin, to make you a brand new person. And you'll discover what Hannah was talking about earlier in the service. Only it'll just be, it'll be for you. But if you're not ready to do that yet, we're not gonna push you or manipulate you at all. Remember, I told you, this is about integrity, not manipulation. And there's no obligation to it. This, this is about us being grateful. So what we've prepared for you today is this. The vocal team is going to sing. We're going to invite you to sing with them. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And what I'm going to say to you is the way we've prepared the table is so that you can take of the bread and cup as a follower of Jesus in whatever way you want to. So a couple of our pastoral staff will be down here at the altar with bread and cup. And if you want to come and take piece of bread and a cup if you want to kneel at the altars and pray or if you want to go back to your chair you do that if you're not comfortable standing in a line or receiving that right now we, we fully understand and so in the chair in front of you there's a, a little cup and some bread there and you're welcome just wherever you are to open that bread and open that cup I'm going to ask you to hold it until all of us have been served and then we will take together and if you're if you just you don't you'd like to have the the opportunity to physically respond but you don't really want to come up to an altar one of our staff will be at a table that's under the balcony and if you want to step back there and just get bread and cup come back to your seat then we today want to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. So I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? As we sing, I invite you to sing with us, and I invite you to worship Jesus Christ.
take the bread? Now the cup. Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the very breath that we breathe. We thank you for the life that you've given to each one of us here on campus, in our online community, for those later this week on demand, for those that we meet as we walk the streets of our neighborhood, of our cities, for those in our family. Lord, may we be people of gratitude and integrity and commendation. Remove from us obligation and manipulation and control. May you be in total control of our lives. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ.